in his royal garb in the temple he has just built. In the morning sun, he glints and glimmers like a jewel on an elevated platform. The son of King David. Temple built, he stands there in dedication of the temple. He is positioned on one side of the altar in the new eastward facing temple's inner court. He stands. Below him, the gathered elders and the elites of Israel have crowded themselves into the limited space. They are all here to witness the consummation of Solomon's crowning achievement and to observe what will turn out to be the apex of spiritual life in the old covenant Israel. What's about to take place in this moment, in this scene of history, will become the apex of spiritual life in that old covenant. The temple has been completed, and the day has arrived to bring into its new home that most holy article of furniture, the temple, was meticulous, constructed to contain. Everything to do with this temple was to house the Ark of the Covenant. All of it, all the splendor of it, all that Solomon had prepared, all of this day of dedication is now to receive the Ark of the Covenant as it is placed in its place there in the temple. The Ark of the Covenant, born on the shoulders of hand-selected priests, is ascending the hill from the city of David. They're bringing it back to the temple. Building a majestic and worthy habitation for God's presence has been his father's David's lifelong dream. Indeed, David, the worshipful warrior king of Israel, spent the final years of his reign amassing an immersed quantity of gold and other priceless priceless materials to finance the monumental undertaking. But execution of this elaborate structure had fallen from David to his son, not the father. As King David had waged too many wars and shed too much blood in the process. The Bible says that God says you will not be able to bring this and make it to come to pass, David, because you are a bloody man. You're a man of war. Because even though God restoration and God moved in David's life, the cost of David's decisions had cost him. War and upon war and his sons and his house, the battle, it cost him. God had moved and worked and done, but yet here, there's some things that happened and took place that he couldn't do anything about. So now it is falling upon Solomon. I've been talking to you this year concerning the passion for the presence of God. That's what David, when you begin to read David's life, his hunger, his desire, he's a man of hunger and passion and desire for the presence of God. Did he have it right in every area of his life? Absolutely not. But the Bible said he's a man after God's own heart. If you read that one way, he's a man after God's own heart. In other words, it'd be like a father saying, he's like me. He's 
got resemblance of my character, my life, my, me. He is, he is a man after my own heart. He is a son after my own heart. Or you can read it in another way and say, he is a man after my heart. He's after my heart. Define my heart. He's a man after the heart of God. We find him saying the words, I'd rather dwell in the house of the Lord than I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. How amiable are your tabernacles, O Lord. How, how great. He said, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. He is a passion for the presence of God. We find this also in Samuel. When the ark of the God, which represents the presence of God, the cloud by day hovered over it, the fire by night, that cloud, that's where the presence of God was. That's where the law was kept. That's where Aaron's budding rod was. That's where part of the shoe bread was that was representing the presence of God. And that Ark of the Covenant, as long as they stayed with the Ark of the Covenant, that little, little, little Ark that was not necessarily a little, but it was little compared to a huge temple, and carried on the shoulders of the priest was the presence of God. And it mattered. To some of them, it was just an article of furniture. But to David, it was the presence of God because that's where God dwelt. That's what they placed behind the Holy of Holies. That's where the veil was, is given. It's in front because that was where God says my presence would dwell. As long as they followed that ark and followed God's presence, they were provided for, they were protected Everything they needed as long as they followed the presence of God. God taught us, we read in Joshua last week in chapter 3, he said, stay within 2,000 cubits, 1,000 yards, a half a mile. When you camp, I want you to stay about a half a mile from the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because when it starts to go left, I want you to be able to see it in time to pack up and move left. If it moves to the right, I want you to see it in time enough to pack up and move. If it stops, I want you to be able to stop. If it starts moving, I want you to see it. I want you to stay in enough distance that you can see the direction the ark is going. If it goes right and you want to go left, you forsake what's left and go right. If you want to go right and it goes left, you forsake what's right and you go left. If it stops and you want to go forward, you stop. If you have stopped and are comfortable and happy and satisfied, but it starts to move, no matter how satisfied, comfortable you are, you pack up your things and move with the presence of God. Wherever, when, when, when that, are, are you with me this morning? Everything is centered around that ark. Everything is centered around. Why is that? Everything is centered around the presence of God. Everything is focused around the presence of God. They had cloud watchers by day that their sole purpose was to watch the cloud. The cloud hovered right above 
the Ark of the Covenant. So when you look, now watch this. This is where stuff gets so powerful. If I'm a half a mile and I, I, I can see, amen, I'm looking, I can be looking all this direction, but I can still see where the Ark is and I can see the cloud above it as a person following with it. And if I'm an Israelite, I can see it. My confidence is not in the man as much as in the man Moses as in the cloud that the man Moses is following. My confidence is not in the flesh. If Moses was to go left and the cloud goes right, which way am I going? I'm following the cloud. If the fire at night was to go to the left and Moses is going to the right, what am I going to do? Follow the fire. Amen. The cloud. If Moses stops and the cloud and the fire is moving, what am I going to do? If, 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 if I'm stopped and, and, and the cloud uh, and Moses keeps moving and the cloud has stopped, I, I, I can't go on with Moses because Moses is not the object that I'm following as much as the cloud and the fire that Moses is following. It is the presence of God. It is that that I'm leaning and depending and trusting on. Everything. Cloud by day to shield the sun. From Amen. Brother Levi brought that out at camp meeting. There's a cloud by day to keep the sun off the children of Israel. Their clothes never wore out. Their shoes never wore out while they wandered in that wilderness. And a fire by night to keep them warm. And to keep the light. They were fire watchers. Cloud watchers. That was their sole purpose and job. You are to watch the cloud. By day. You said that means we could go on with our normal day life. But if the cloud watchers see that cloud start to move. All of a sudden. Brother Dalton help me. All of a sudden the cloud watchers start saying. The cloud's moving. Say it again, Brother Dalton. And then what happens? The rest of them begin to say, the cloud's moving. You may be doing your daily job out feeding the cows, Brother Chuck. Amen, big. Amen. Y'all may be out there in the middle of them, the fences down. That's what happened Wednesday. Half the fence was down. They was having to move cows, and half the fence was about to get. But all of a sudden, that cloud watcher says, the clouds moving, and all of a sudden, the trumpets sound that lets you know that there's a meeting about to take place. Everybody gathers for that meeting. Then Moses steps up and says, Everybody listen, my own words. The cloud is moving. Pack your stuff and get ready to move. So all of a sudden, we fixing fences or we're not just going to fix fences. We're just going to gather them up and get them ready to move with us because we're taking our cows with us. Can you say amen? If it's in the middle of the night, in the middle of that, let's go back to the day and, and the kids are playing. Everything stops when that cloud starts to move. Our lives depend on on the presence of God. 
I am to watch, I'm, I'm, I'm to be sober, the Bible says, in the last days. I'm to be vigilant, sober. Sober is not just sober from drink, from alcohol. Sober means I am not drunken with anything. I, I am balanced with my clear mind and my heart focused on one thing. I'm not influenced. We think of sober being out from under the influence of alcohol or out from under the influence of drugs, out from behind, are you following me? But sober, when the Bible says that, it's not just talking concerning that. It's mean I'm sober from entertainment influences. I'm sober from culture influences. I'm sober from my own appetites. That, no, hallelujah, nothing is influencing my decisions but what needs to be influenced in my decisions. I have relieved myself. He says, be sober. Don't be drunk on culture, entertainment, self-appetites. Then be vigilant. So I'm to be sober out from under the influence of all things except the focus that I need to be focused on, and that is the presence of God. Is God moving in my life? Is his presence at work in my life? Are you following me today? The fire watchers by night, two o'clock in the morning, we're asleep, resting, and all of a sudden, Brother Hayden, a fire watcher, at two o'clock in the morning, catches the fire. I think it'd be a little more than that, Brother Hayden. The fire's moving. <laughs> two o'clock in the morning, you gotta wake everybody up. You gotta wake the man of God up. You gotta wake his people up. You gotta wake up everybody that's in the trumpets that gotta be woke up. You gotta let us know the fire's moving, Hayden. I mean, that's a little bit better. The fire's moving. Is that going to interrupt things? Is that going to wake them up? Yes. And don't wait. Come on. Amen. I started to doze off. It is hard for me to doze off. I have to take something, everybody to help me. I have to take something, try to help me, some vitamin to help me go to sleep anymore. And I'm dozing off. And all of a sudden, Kaylee says something from the kitchen in my dozed off state. I'm on the couch. And all of a sudden, she says something from there. I hear her, but I don't want to wake up. And so I'm like, I wish she would hush. That doesn't satisfy her. She comes over and brings whatever it is and says, Dad. So at that point, I said, shut up. She's 20, you know, I don't talk to her like that anymore. But I don't usually talk to that way anyway. Before I know that, my half-asleep eel side says, shut up. Leave me alone. Let me sleep. She's like, Dad, why are you talking to me that way? I'm like, you don't see this? This don't never happen to me, and I just need about 10 minutes. The fire's moving. 
Somebody needs to lift your hands and say, God, I don't care where I'm at in my life. If the cloud or the fire starts to move, somebody wake me up. I don't care what you got to do to me, but shake me. I don't care what you got to do, but stir me. I don't care what you got to do. I don't want to miss the presence of God. I don't want to miss out on what God is doing. I don't want to miss what God is, is, is saying. Amen. I don't want to miss the presence of God in my life. Wife, wake me up. Children, wake me up. I don't care who it is in your house that is fire watching, but at all times, somebody needs to be watching the cloud and the fire in your house. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody say, I want to be a fire watcher in my family. I want to be a cloud watcher in my family. But whatever we do, we can't miss the presence of God. Our protection is in the presence of God. Our provision is in the presence of God. As long as they're where the presence of God is, manna is coming down from heaven. And they go out and pick it up in the morning. Amen. Are you with me? And they eat bread baked from heaven that falls on the ground. God takes care of them. Amen. The quail come in. Amen. When it's time to eat meat, the water is there. The protection of God. The provision of God. Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Uh, Brother Dalton sent me this. Uh, amen. With the fire in the middle of the night starts to move. Uh, it's that that's keeping them warm. And all of a sudden you start to feel cold. Uh, it lets you know the fire must be moving or either you're too far away from the fire to stay warm. Uh, but want to shake me, stir me, but don't let me. Do you see, this is not backsliding and going to the world. This is not backsliding and going back to the, the things of the world, uh, uh, the, the things that you did uh, before you got saved. Uh, this means uh, that if I even start to grow cold in my worship, cold in my prayer, cold in my devotion, cold in, in, in my commitment, uh, amen, if I start to grow cold, something is telling me I've either moved too far away from the fire and the cloud or either the fire the cloud is moving from me uh, come on somebody uh, whatever it is uh, I don't need to wait till it's a mile and a half away uh, I want to stay within a half a mile the safe distance he wants me at I want to be as close as I can can you say amen to the fire that's why you hear me say when we sing I don't, I don't want us just to sing I want us to ring that bell. I want the fire. How cold are you today? Hallelujah. Is there somebody in your house that regulates where you are with the cloud and the fire? Is there somebody gauging that in your life? Let me ask you this. Is there people in your life that can tell you and they have that kind of authority in your life to tell you the cloud's moving? Is there people in your life that has that kind of authority in your life to say, listen, 
Your choices are taking you away from the fire. Your choices is taking you away from the cloud. The power of submission. I heard this the other day and it it rocked my world. The man was preaching on Elijah and Elisha. And he was talking about how it was, it's never been Elisha or, I mean, Elijah or Elisha. When you read Kings, the two men are together. It's Elijah and Elisha. The older and the younger. The younger and the older. You don't choose Elijah or Elisha. It's Elijah and Elisha, the older and the, you cannot have a future without a past. If you don't have the foundation of the past, you will not have secure future. I have to have the foundation of what has been, but I also have to have the certainty of what is coming. Elijah and Elisha. Elisha and Elijah. I have to know what has took place. The foundation. The experiences. The stories. But I also got to know the future. Moses has has had miracles after miracles after miracles. Joshua is coming on the scene And the Bible said he stayed in the presence of God. And we can go there at some point in this. But I'm telling you right now, amen, Moses did his. But it's never Moses or Joshua. Joshua or Moses. It's always Moses and Joshua. Joshua and Moses. Because you've got to have the past and you've got to have the. Watch this. I love this. uh, this, uh, Somebody said this the other day and it, it shook me too. Moses did some great things in the kingdom of God but he never stopped the sun. Joshua is going to stop the sun. Amen. <laughs> that means the future's bright. There may be some things that I've experienced and walked in myself, but your generation's going to do things that I didn't do. And I might have seen the Red Sea roll back, and I might have watched manna come down from heaven, and I might have watched the the waters part and the water come out of the rock. But Joshua, you're going to stand and say, son, stand still till I can finish this battle, and you're going to be a sun stopper. But the two come together. Can you shout amen? And what's powerful is when Elijah and Elisha's moving from from, from Gilgal and Bethel and Jericho, and I don't got time to get on that. It'll be a, maybe in the future. The Bible said, and they went, and they went, and they, the two, went. And then when it gets to the point of the Jordan and the miracles about to happen and the supernatural is about to take place, the waters are going to part and they're going to march across. It was at that point that the Bible says that the two went on. Joined together in unity and submission, the two went on. And this is what gets so powerful about this statement, submission. Watch this. Amen. Hallelujah. The elder looks at the younger. Elijah looks at Elisha and says, what 
do you want from me? The elder is submitting to the younger by saying, you ain't stopped. You have followed me for eight years, and now you're here. I keep telling you to stop. At every spot, Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, every, watch it, follow it, it's 1 Kings, 2 Kings, excuse me. They fight, he tells them, stay here, stay here. The test is always to stay. The city wants you to stay. The sons, the schools of the prophets want you to stay. And even the man of God himself says, stay here. But Elisha said, I'm not staying here. The test is always to stay. The struggle is always to stay. You get an experience at Gilgal, the test is to stay there. Every Pentecostal movement today that we know of got an experience, got a revelation, and stayed. And built their entire denomination around a revelation. Every movement has got that. The test is always to stay. You have to make up in your mind. I'm not staying here. My object is not a one-time experience. My object is not a one-time revelation. I want to walk in revelation. I want to walk in the presence of God. Come on, folks. This ain't just me talking. This is Bible. Can you say amen? They, 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 they say, stay. He said, no, watch this. Elijah says to Elijah, what do you want from me? The elder has stopped and says, I have tried to get you to stay at all these spots. And you don't want to stay. So what is it you want from me? He's submitting to the younger by asking, what is it you desire? The younger then says to the elder, I have followed you, watched your character, seen how you treat your wife, seen how you treat your children. I've watched you. I've watched the miracles you performed. If I can have one thing out of all that I've seen, I want a double portion of what you have. Whatever's on your life. See what happens eight years before this. He's plowing in a field. With his daddy's oxen. He's taking care of his daddy's. His daddy's crops and his daddy's fields. And he's plowing. Y'all helping me this morning? Y'all paying attention? He's, he's, he's plowing and, and he's doing his daddy. And all of a sudden Elijah comes by his way. And when he does he takes his mantle. And he brushes it over Elisha. In the middle of the field, when he does, Elisha greets him and he brushes him with that mantle. When he does, Elisha said, hold on just a second. What was that I just felt? What was that that I just experienced when you come by me and brush me with that mantle? He said, amen. Give me a moment, sir. I'm going with you. And Elijah says, what do you want? I mean, why why, why you want to go with me? I don't have nothing to do with you. He said, whatever you just touched me with. Whatever that taste that I just got, I want it in my life. 
I want more of it in my life. And so for the next seven to eight years, Elisha follows Elijah everywhere he goes. If he needs to wash his hands, don't you fall out with me. He's, he's like, I'm going to wash your hands. If you need water for your feet, I'm going to bring you water. He made sure. He would, but watch this. This, this. this is where stuff gets so good. Uh, one, one preacher made this statement. It's so powerful to me. Amen. He said, he said, I wanted to find out. The Bible said Elisha was plowing in the field. He said, what does that mean? He said, God, what is you trying to teach us here? Why, where, where, where did this happen? Why is he plowing in the field? He said, I went on a prayer time dedication. He said, I'm reading every commentary. I'm reading every book on Elisha and how Elisha got started. He said, I'm trying to find out why was that him plowing that field? What draw Elijah to him? And what was it? He said, it's got to be something spiritual in this. And he said, I prayed and fasted. I sought the face of God. He said, I'm trying to find out. He said, after a few days of prayer and seeking and dedication and study, he said, finally, the Lord spoke to me. He said, I said, Lord, I need you to tell me, show me what it is about Elisha plowing that field. Amen. And working with those oxen. He said, why? He said, the Lord spoke to him and said, because it needed plowing. Y'all didn't get that, did you? He said, I was looking for something spiritual and big. And he said, it wasn't nothing spiritual and big. He said, he's just because it needed plowing. It was something that needed to be done. Oh, y'all might as well help me while I preach just a moment here. What are you trying to say, preacher? Find something that needs to be done and do it. You don't have to be told to do it. God don't have to speak to you to do it. If it needs to be done, do it. I'm just going to sit here and wait till God speaks to me what to do. No, you find something that needs to be done. And when God sends the man of God by, he's going to come by people that is doing what needs to be done. I can't, I can't move forward unless you get that. Come on, somebody. Lift your hands and say, Lord, help me to see the need. Your generation don't know what I'm talking about in a lot of ways. Went on the way to Troy. Just went and got a $25 haircut. Putting a hundred and something dollars in diesel. Are you hungry, buddy? Yeah, Daddy, I'm starving. You want some chicken fingers, some brundage, crows? Oh, yeah, Daddy. Sidetracked on the way to Troy. He looks up there. He sees eight piece only. The chicken nuggets over here. That's what they call them at Crows. He said, Daddy, I think I want that eight piece. Only. I don't need them sides. I said, baby, that's eight pieces of chicken. That's breast and legs and thighs. <laughs> I love his simple innocence, you know. So he gets the large, I said, you can get the large, no slaw, you know, fries. He gets it all, take it to the table, get two, two cups to get drinks. And I've been telling him this for weeks now. You see a need? Sir? I said, you see a need? Mm-hmm. Is my hands full? Mm-hmm. Is it still stuff sitting here? Mm-hmm. Do you see a need? (laughs) 
So we set our food down. There's two cups. He takes the cup out of the cup. Goes, gets what he wants to drink. Leaves mine sitting there. Comes back. And I said, do you see a need? I said, why don't you get me something to drink? $25 haircut, $100-something diesel. And you're aggravated because you got to get me a drink? I said, son, and I'm dealing with, and I'm going to tell you something. He got me so mad yesterday, I almost went to the house. And I said, what in the world are you thinking? And I'm done, I'm done got frustrated, and I'm pointing. And then he has to say, I don't mind getting you something to drink. Hmm? You don't mind? You don't mind getting my drink out of what I'm doing for you? You don't mind? See the need. This is where I'm at. Bad times, hard times produce strong people. Hard times produce strong men. Strong men produce easy times. Because strong men make things easy. Strong men make wise decisions because they don't want their generation to face hard times. Hard times produce strong men. Men produce Easy time. Strong men produce easy time. But easy times produce hard times. Weak men. And weak men produce hard times. We're living in a spoiled generation who has not had it hard. And some of you saying, I don't know what house you raised up in, but mine was hard time. I'm t- I understand that. You may be in that cycle somewhere else than what we are. But my kids have easy times. They're staying in a condo at the beach, in a house at the beach. We stayed in a tent. We went to Miracle Strip, then left and went back to the tent to put bologna on us bread. We didn't get concession. We just spent $70 in concession and you gobble it up and mad because you didn't get the other drink that you wanted. You don't know what hard times are. Come on, somebody. We've got a fan in the burning hot July sun that daddy worked all year long to have the money just to have a tent. Good times. Though they were hard times. But hard times produce strong men. It makes us desperate. It makes us have to. Is anybody hearing me? 
So therefore, we pray for it. We seek. We fight. We work. We get. But then we try to make sure it's easy for the other. But that easiness, and that's where I'm at. I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for the presence of God that rests in this house any given Sunday and any given Wednesday night. But I'm afraid you have it easy. You don't have to pray this down. You don't have to fight this down. You don't have to chase this. There's people in this house that's done done it for you. There's people in this house that has made sure you live around the cloud, around the fire. So you don't know what it's like to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, the fire's moving. Because everybody, most people in your life has made sure you stay with the fire and the cloud. So what I'm trying to say to you is we got to wake up and say, hold on just a second. I thank God for easier times than what we had. But somewhere you've got to get a passion for the presence of God yourself. Because when we or the fire watchers are no longer around, there's got to be a passion for the presence of God. Somewhere in the middle of this, I need some Joshua's. Travis, are you hearing me? I need some Joshua's Lexi that stand up and say, man, if God's got to leave the cloud, the man of God's got to walk off from the fire, I don't have to. I don't have the responsibilities he's got. I'm going to stay right here in the presence of God. Pastor's got to go preach, and so he's got to leave from the presence of God to go preach, but I'm going to stay right here in the presence of God. That's what Joshua did in the middle of that time that Moses had brought. Joshua grabbed a hold of it. Elisha in the mill that saw a need and began to meet the need and the man of God found Elisha. We got to have some Elishas in this house that says, I know I don't have the mantle resting on me, but I tasted enough of this that I want it in my life. I've tasted enough of this, I want it. I've tasted enough, I desire it. I can't live without it. I mean, lift your hands right now and say, I can't live without it. If we go two Sundays without a move, come on, somebody. You say, well, we're just going through a dry spell. No! We go, we go several Sundays without the moves of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit in operation, whether tongues and interpretation or healings taking place, moved. If people not being coming to the altar and responding, move. Find out where the presence of God is. Find out where the cloud is. Disturbed, shaken. Hallelujah. Well, what am I to do right now, Pastor? Find a need. Put your hands on a need. Somebody, come on, you younger generation, especially, lift your hands and say, God, show me needs. Open my eyes to see needs. What needs to be done? Don't take God speaking to you to see a need and meeting it. You ain't got to fast three days. You don't have to fast three days. Thank you. 
to find the need or God to speak to you. Find the need and get in the middle of the need. Plow the field. Work. You don't have to have God speak to you. Seek every day. I want to be useful. Am I boring y'all this morning? And so all of a sudden, Elijah comes and finds a man meeting the need of his fathers. And he brushes him with that mantle. And now, Elijah says, I want what you have. And for eight years, he chased a taste. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you that night, August the 30th, 1989, the brush of God's presence brushed me. 14 years old. Susanna's here tonight. She can tell you when all that happened. She's with me from there all the way up. She can tell you when the transformation happened in my life. Hallelujah. Praise God. She even went to church with me one or two times. Amen. And experienced what God. She, I, mean, y'all, I tell a story. She's about that time when the Lord's moving and you and Philip had came with me to church that night. And I was sitting with y'all. And I said, Lord, let's have one of them quiet services tonight. Don't let it be too rowdy to myself, but I ended up shouting all in the seat with them. <laughs> and the Holy Ghost doesn't fail. And I, when I come to myself, I thought they left, but they didn't leave. They were down praying between the seats too. <laughs> but she so can tell you, it transformed my life. A taste, and I chased that taste. Every chance I could get, I want, I want to experience it again. I want to know, praise God, hallelujah. That's how God gets you to heaven. Are you hearing me? It's just that, that hunger. Praise God. And he'll say, do you want more? Yes. And he'll chase more. Amen. And then he'll move a little further. And I'll say, he said, you want more? Come here. And I'll come to where he's at. Amen. He'll say, he'll move back. He says, now, now you want more? Then you're going to have to leave that alone. Let that go and come closer. And I turn that loose and let that go and come closer. Because he don't do it all at one time. But then he says, now you want more? Come here. Anybody hear me right now? Woo, come here, darling. Amen. Praise God. Go back here just a minute, right back there. Amen. He finds me. That's good enough. He finds me where I'm at, and he loves me. Praise God, right? Amen. How many knows what I'm talking about? But then in, in a few days, in a few weeks, all of a sudden, I feel a little separation. And I think, well, he doesn't left me. No, he ain't. He ain't left me. He's just moved a little closer, further. And he's saying, do you want more? And I'm sitting there in that spot, and I'm going, oh, I love this. I love what God's done in my life. But I don't know why. It just kind of feels distance right now. And all of a sudden, I get to praying and seeking the Lord. And the Lord says, do you want more? Come here. And so here I come. Amen. And it's a rendezvous again. Praise God. And then he does it again. Amen. You want more? Amen. Yes, I want more. But, but, but the Lord says, well, you see that you're hanging on to over there? You can't hang on to that and come here. And you can't keep doing that and come here. If you want to come here, you're going to have to turn all of that loose. Uh, this is the sanctification process. And the hunger in me drives me to let go of what I can't. 
take with me. It causes me to turn, uh, uh, come on, let loose and let go of things. And I turn and loose, shake it off. Uh, and you know why? Because I want what I feel. I want him. I want his presence. So then I come here. Amen. Uh, woo, hallelujah. And then it ain't long till he's done it again. Uh, and he says, now, if you want this deeper, you got to turn that loose. You got to let that go and turn. Come on, somebody. I want you to know he ain't never doing this. He ain't never turning his back in the process. He, man, remember what I've been preaching to you on Sunday nights? I follow hard after you. You uphold me with the right hand of your righteousness. I, I am never out of your hand in this process. I, the process ain't him leaving me. The process is him using my hunger and my desire to drive me closer and closer and closer. Come here, JJ. No, Dalton, stay. Every devil, no, you stay there, Dalton. You turn around and face him. Every devil that comes to fight, he's willing to fight that devil. You know why? What's on this side of that devil? What's this side of that trial? What's on this side of that tribulation? What's on this side is what he's after. Come on, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Some of you, amen, look at me, Dalton. You fight and look at me. You got to keep your eyes on what you're chasing after. Get your eyes off the struggle. Get your eyes off the battle. He wants you to get your eyes focused on him. Because if you do that, you lose sight of where you're going. You lose sight of what you're after. Some of you have lost sight of what you're after. You got to fight and keep looking, fight and keep looking, fight and keep looking, fight and keep praying, fight and keep worshiping, fight and keep coming. Keep your eyes on the goal. Keep your eyes on the prize. Your prize, shake him off. It's coming here to get me. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands in this house and love the Lord. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the hunger. Don't, we're not finished. Praise God. I know you just slung him like D David did the giant. Come on. Come here. You was under the anointing, wasn't you? <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, how has Dalton come from there to here? By his power? Move. No. Do. By his hunger and his desire. And guess what's going to happen one of these days? Hey, buddy. He, don't even tell, he may not even tell you. He wouldn't tell you probably. But you want more? Come here. And the next thing you know, you're going to come one last time. And all of a sudden, you're going to hear the gate clink behind you. Clink. He's going to say, turn around. You made it. Enter into the joys of your Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. What's drove you past it all? What's made you turn loose? Your family don't understand you why you're changing and why you're letting go of stuff. Your family don't understand the culture and your life's changed. Your appetites have changed. Your worship has changed. Why? Because I'm going after God. I'm going after the hunger that's in my soul. Somebody lift your hands all over this house and say, God, give me a passion for the presence of God. 
Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands and give him glory all over this house. There's some of you at standstills. You got some decisions to make. Come on, CJ. You're at standstills. And God's saying, if you want more, you got to let go. You want more, you got to turn that loose. You want more, you got to. Your decision is I'm going to stay where I'm at. Chuck, last week, your testimony in the altar is a testimony that I have done this for 34 years now that I love. This is the second or third time Chuck felt the presence of the Lord like he did last week. And he says, from what I thought he said, from what I understand, he says, that, that feeling, he says, there ain't nothing like it. He's hollering from here to me. There ain't nothing like it. I said, I know. <laughs> ain't a drug alcohol they ain't a high they ain't, they ain't an ecstasy that can scratch the surface of the presence of God when he touches human man if I could put this in a bottle I'd put Milwaukee out of business Jack Daniels would bankrupt if I could put this in a syringe and become a hope dealer, a Holy Ghost dealer, I'd shut the drug industry down in Enterprise in Coffee County and Covenant County. Wouldn't no one. But you can't put this in a pill and you can't put this in a bottle and you can't put this in a syringe. It only comes with surrender to the Lord. Can you say Amen. I was preaching revival over in Georgia, and we had broke out, and I'm talking about a humdinger of a revival. This church had come and heard me at another church. It was a little modern. It was one of them that was just coming into the charismatic movement, and they were doing a whole lot of different things than the normal church did. And the pastor had come to hear me preach. And he, he loved the fire of God and the anointing of God. He said, I want that in my church. Can you come? And I was like, yes, I, I'd love to come. And so I went to preach for him. All these churches that I preached for couldn't believe I was preaching for them because it was a different culture than what they were used to. Well, he allowed his people to play. And one of the boys playing the guitars on the stage was one of the biggest dealers of, of weed that time, marijuana and drug stuff. In the high school. He's a senior. He's on the stage. Jeremy was his name. And he let him play the guitar. Some of them up there on the stage. It's back then like Navarna and all them top groups was out. And he's one of them top guys. His hair shack. He's playing. Well, I get up and start preaching that night. And man, the spirit of the Lord fell. And Jeremy gets gloriously saved. I'm talking about gloriously saved. Praise God. And he don't know how to respond. And so he just goes, ooh, Jesus. 
who Jesus, who Jesus, who Jesus. That's about all he does. Revival breaks out. I go three and a half weeks in revival at that church. Well, guess what happens? Monday morning, the dealer that gives the drugs and sells the, the weed and all that little stuff is back years ago. I was in my late, I was either 19 or 20, about 20, 21, something like that. Sylvester, Georgia. I was in Sylvester, Georgia. Jeremy shows up to school on Monday morning without anything but his Bible. And Jeremy says, when they start coming, I don't have what you're looking for today, but I can show you what I found last night. And he turns that school upside down. In three weeks, we had over 27 kids saved out of that high school that I ended up having to come back and baptize every tall 27 of them. It so turned that school upside down that the principal called the pastor and said, I don't know what's happening at your church, but half over 27 of my tr most troublemakers in this school is going to your church right now. What's happening? He said, we in revival. He said, well, that preacher come preach at the school. So then I had to go to, and they sent me up in the welding class just to speak. And all of them rough, tough, hey man, it's all there getting saved. I mean, praying. I'm not here, so I'm speaking to the entire welding class. I had to do it kind of secretly, conservatively, and just those that wanted to come could come. It was packed out. We have such a revival. Well, the Sunday night after that, one of Jeremy's biggest buddies that was one of his that done graduated, there's one of the ones that supplied him with his stuff. Come on, somebody. Comes the church, and he's a preacher's kid that's backslid, and he's sitting on the front row, and he gets gloriously saved on that Sunday night. He's down, and the power of God, let me back up. They wanted a, a youth choir. That church had never had a youth choir, so I got them a youth choir, and we started singing. We were singing. I taught them a song, and they were singing. The power of God fell, and Jeremy gets filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. He starts dancing and shouting. He's going, ooh, Jesus. Ooh, Jesus. He's trying to rub it off of him. He's trying to get it off of him. He don't know nothing. He's like, it's on me. I'm trying to get it off of him. He's just like, ooh, Jesus, ooh, Jesus. And about that time, his buddy runs to the altar because he come with him that night to help supply. And he gets glory. He knows what he's doing because he's a preacher's kid. And he's back. He's down over here weeping and crying. Come on, somebody. He prays through. Amen. He gets back to the Lord, comes home to the Lord. And Jeremy's done shouted back and forth and all over the place. And about that time, this one stands up. And he said, can, can, he said, can I testify? Come on, somebody. And I gave him the microphone. He said, praise God. He said, come on. No, about that time, excuse me, Jeremy is telling me. He done went back there and back there. He's saying, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. He said, dear God. He said, he said, I've been over there. I've been back there. I've been there. He's everywhere. I can't get away from him. About the time this one starts testifying, he said, Jeremy. He said, me and you have done a lot of drugs together, haven't we? And Jeremy said, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. He said, we, we, we've been in a lot of parties, haven't we, Jeremy? And Jeremy said, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. He said, but Jeremy, we, we've experienced a lot of things. Jeremy said, yes, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. He said, but Jeremy, I ain't never tasted a drug 
or an alcohol or an experience to high that's made me feel like I'm feeling right now. Jeremy said, oh, Jesus, and took off running around the church. Praise God. I'm telling you, if we could put this in a bottle, if we could put this in antidepressant, we'd go out of business. But you can't put it in a bottle and you can't put it in a syringe. It's found only in the fulfillment of the, the emptiness and the loneliness that comes from the fellowship of the one that created you, the one that made you, the one that loves you. Your loneliness is missing him. Not another husband, not another wife, not another party, not another high, not another, it's just him. The loneliness you feel is him. The emptiness you feel is him. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's a mission. Surrender. I'm yours, God. I'm yours, God. What do you want from me? I want a double portion of what's on your life. The younger submitting to the elder. And the elder says, then if you see me when I depart, you shall receive. It's a submit. Come on, I'm, not, I'm done right there. The Lord's moving right now. How many lift your hands all over this house? I'll hit that again later. Lift your hands all over this house and say, you're what I'm looking for. I want a passion for your presence. Hallelujah. The cloud's moving, Pastor. The fire's moving. I want to be a fire watcher. I want to be a cloud watcher for my house. I know what's missing in our home. The cloud's missing. The fire's missing. Amen. If that's you and that's what you're desiring this morning, why don't you stand to your feet and lift your hands along with these others that's already doing so. And say, Lord, I want you in my life. This is what I want you to pray this morning because this is where I was going. The cloud filled the house where Solomon was. The cloud filled the house in so much that the priest could not minister. The glory filled the house in so much that the priest could not minister. And after all of that, after the cloud and all that took place, this is what messed me up. The Bible says that Solomon's dedicated God's presence comes into the temple. But then God whispers to Solomon in the middle of the night and says, if you want this, He said, if my people which are called by my name, that's when that scripture is, is there. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, repent, turn from their wicked ways, I'll heal their land. What God was saying is I've let you taste my presence is here. But if you're wanting this to be in your home, in your house, in your personal life, then you have to come after me yourself. How many lift your hands all over this house and say, I appreciate what I feel today, but I want this to go home with me. Come on, all over this house, I want this to go home with me. I want this to come into my personal life. I want a passion for your presence. If you're here this morning, you've been looking in all the wrong places and stuff has not fulfilled you anymore. It's because God is bringing you to a point to realize that it's never been none of that that's going to satisfy you. 
There's only one satisfaction for that loneliness and that emptiness. And that's his presence. That's fellowship with God. That's fellowship with his word. That's fellowship with his people. If that's you, I want you to start coming all over this house. Come join me across this front and say, I'm going to be a cloud watcher. Come on, I don't, if, you're not, if, if you don't have to be a part of us and a member of us to come, you can come all over this house. Come on, everybody that wants to can come and seek his presence. It don't mean you're joining this church. It don't mean you're shaking my hand and we're going to become a member. But the fact is, he wants to touch your life. Amen. I want to be a fire watcher. I want to be a cloud watcher. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.